Hello, and welcome to First Week on the Wards OBGYN, a crash course on the basics of obstetrics and gynecology. In this third episode, we will be talking about preterm labor. We will start with a discussion of the different gestational ages. A normal pregnancy is 40 weeks long. However, the definition of term and preterm are much more complex than that, and it will take time to remember. In general, the breakdown goes as follows. Pre-viable is thought to be before 24 weeks. In some places, the NICU will attempt to resuscitate infants earlier than that, but in general, 24 is the dividing line for viability. Term is defined as 37 weeks up until 42 weeks. Therefore, between viability and term is preterm. 24 up into 37 weeks. Preterm can be broken up even further, and breaking it up is important because it helps us delineate what we're going to do if a patient does go into labor at that time. The dividing lines to remember are 32 and 34 weeks. We will discuss why this is the case later. For completion's sake, term can also be broken up into early term, term, and late term, with early term being 37 up until 39 weeks, term being 39 weeks up to 41 weeks, and late term being 41 up to 42 weeks. After 42 weeks is considered post-term. Now back to the topic at hand. Preterm labor is defined as contractions that cause cervical change at less than 37 weeks. This combines the two different definitions, preterm, meaning less than 37 weeks, and labor, meaning contractions causing cervical change. Some risk factors for preterm labor include a history of preterm labor, short cervix, bleeding, and infection. One method that can be used to prevent preterm labor in women who have a history of preterm labor is progesterone injections. For women with a known short cervix, vaginal progesterone and a cerclage can be used. A cerclage is a stitch placed around the cervix that physically attempts to keep it closed. If a woman comes in and indeed is in preterm labor, there are a variety of things we can give her in an attempt to improve outcomes. We will start closest to term and move back, adding one new intervention with each step away from the term mark. As we discussed, preterm is 24 to 37 weeks, and our two big milestones are 32 and 34 weeks. From 34 weeks to 37 weeks is considered late preterm. At this point, the baby is well on its way to making surfactant. While they are still at risk due to prematurity for complications compared to term babies, outcomes are often better after the 34-week mark. Therefore, the two things we will give is antenatal corticosteroids to assist with lung maturity, decreased risk of intraventricular hemorrhage, and decreased risk of necrotizing enterocolitis. And then also we can give penicillin if GBS positive or unknown. Antenatal corticosteroids are two shots of betamethasone given 24 hours apart. After 48 hours, you may hear the patient being called beta complete. If we move earlier than the 34-week mark, we know that the fetus's lungs are even less mature and the need to ensure a patient is beta complete increases. Therefore, in addition to corticosteroids and penicillin, if GBS positive or unknown, we will give tocolysis. Tocolysis is essentially medication given to try and delay delivery. It is not necessarily given to stop preterm labor, but to buy us some time. In this 32 to 34 week period, the tocolytic of choice is nifedipine. Our final range of weeks will be prior to 32 weeks, so 24-ish until 32 weeks. Here there are two tweaks to what we will do. 
the patient will still get steroids, penicillin if GBS positive or unknown, and tocolysis. But one, the tocolysis will be endomethacin rather than nifedipine. And two, we will add magnesium. Let's break down each of these changes. Endomethacin is thought to be more efficacious for tocolysis than nifedipine. However, it poses the risk of closing the PDA, a risk that increases with gestational age. Therefore, endomethacin is used up until 34 weeks before it is switched out with nifedipine. If you remember from the hypertension episode, we talked about the use of magnesium for dampening down neurons for the prevention of seizures in pre-E and eclampsia. Here, this same effect is being leveraged, but for the baby. Magnesium is used prior to 32 weeks because it is thought to be neuroprotective for the fetus and reduce the risk of developing cerebral palsy. So to recap, from 34 weeks until term at 37 weeks, patients who present in preterm labor will receive antenatal corticosteroids and if delivery is imminent, penicillin if GBS positive or unknown. From 32 until 34 weeks, we add on to colysis with nifedipine. Then, from viability around 24 weeks until 32 weeks, we switch out to colysis to endomethacin and add magnesium for neuroprotection. Our final topics to cover are PPROM and PROM. PROM stands for pre-labor rupture of membranes. This means that before the mom was having contractions that caused cervical change, her membranes ruptured. PPROM stands for preterm pre-labor rupture of membranes. This is when the membranes rupture prior to term at 37 weeks. Things that increase the risk of pre-labor rupture of membranes are things that weaken or irritate the membranes, including bleeding and infection. The amniotic sac is one of many important pieces that help to protect the baby from infection. Therefore, the concern is that if this protective barrier is gone for too long, baby will be at an increased risk for infection. In PPROM, the risk of infection must be balanced against the risk of prematurity, and the tipping point between keeping the patient inpatient and managing with antibiotics and frequent fetal monitoring and delivering is 34 weeks. So if a woman comes in at 28 weeks and we confirm rupture of membranes, she will stay inpatient receiving close fetal monitoring and latency antibiotics with ampicillin and azithromycin until she gets to 34 weeks, at which point we will deliver her. During this time, maternal instability, fetal distress, or infection are all reasons to deliver immediately. If, however, she were to come in at 35 weeks, she would likely just be delivered at that time. For PROM, there isn't any concern for prematurity because by definition they are term, so patients are often induced when they present with PROM. There is still increased risk for infection, especially after 18 hours, so it is important to monitor for the development of chorioamnionitis. Here we are looking for fever, tachycardia, tenderness, and purulent amniotic fluid. Treatment is with ampicillin and gentamicin. So we've been talking all about rupture of membranes, but how do we confirm that this has actually occurred? If there is concern for rupture of membranes, there are three things we can look at. The first is we can look for pooling in the vaginal vault on speculum exam. The second is ferning on microscopy. This is when a sample of fluid is taken and allowed to dry on a glass slide. 
As the fluid dries, crystallization occurs and the resulting pattern that can be seen under the microscope mimics the way a fern looks. Finally, a positive nitrazine blue can help determine rupture of membranes. Nitrazine paper is pH paper that turns blue in response to basic substances. Amniotic fluid, unlike urine and vaginal secretions, is basic and will turn nitrazine paper blue. So that was a quick run through of preterm labor, P-prom, and prom. To recap, preterm labor is contractions that cause cervical change prior to 37 weeks gestation. P-prom is preterm pre-labor rupture of membranes, and PROM is pre-labor rupture of membranes. Risk factors for this are bleeding and infection. Ruptured membranes put the baby at increased risk for infection, so we want to make sure to monitor for that. If rupture occurs prior to 34 weeks, we wait and watch while giving latency antibiotics. After 34 weeks, we deliver. We can confirm rupture of membranes by observing pooling in the vaginal vault, seeing ferning on microscopy, and with a positive nitrazine blue test.